The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, we thank you for being so very good, for being the, the very definition of good, so that when you are our vision, what we see is marvelous, sweet and satisfying, right in every conceivable way. We sing praying that you would be our vision because it is often challenging to see you above and through everything else that crowds into line of sight. But would you come now to be near your people, fill our eyes and be our vision, be the satisfaction of our hearts, the one that we hope in and delight in. And I pray, Lord, that somehow this morning you would, as you show yourself to us, that you would also show yourself to us or perhaps explain to us how you mean to show yourself to us in some places perhaps where we don't often look in in ordinary things in the world. Sometimes we think about you being our vision and we think of it in song and in prayer and in Scripture only. But we want to also see you day by day as we walk the streets and drive, drive our cars and sit in our offices and hang out in our homes and go to our classes. We want to see you in the events in those ordinary places to see and delight in you there. So show us how that is, please. Show us yourself in new and in fresh ways and perhaps in new and in fresh places Move us to walk with you in obedience. Lord, we need you. Thankfully, you have made yourself available. You have drawn near when we could not draw near to you. You have drawn near, and I pray now that you would, again here in this moment, that you would draw near in a, in a powerful and, and perceptible way. We could know your nearness, know your presence, enjoy you, be changed by you, for you. But we look to you for that to happen. You must make that, so please do. Give life to your word. Steer my words this morning that they would hold tight to your word. Build up your people. Grow us, mature us and honor the name of Christ among us. It is for his honor in his name that we pray. Amen. We turn our attention this morning to Philippians chapter 4, the section that concludes this main body of the letter. And as we have seen in verses 4 to 7, Paul gave the church a few brief commands calling Christians to live out the best life imaginable, that life that we all, Christian and non-Christian alike, that we all deeply want, which God wants for us, praise God, He commands us towards a life that we actually want and would be so very good for us, a life of rejoicing and a life of gracious demeanor towards other people, a life that's free from anxiety, instead knows peace. Those are the three main commands in that section. And then over the last two weeks, kind of stayed there, hovered there, and pulled out a few things. We elaborated on how thanksgiving and how prayer are connected to that last command about peace. Prayer with thanksgiving is a great help in moving us towards this God of peace. So we had to consider that. We come to Him. We come to Him. We don't just pray. We come to Him with needs in hand, but fixated on Him, seeing Him for who He is, the one who, who reigns and who is good, and with requests laid before him, his peace follows, covers us, guards us all around, rejoicing, thankful, free from anxiety, at peace. That's the life he calls us to. Bless God. That's the Christian life. And now at verse 8, 
where we're going this morning. We are finally moving on. Verse 8, Paul's closing instructions take a slightly different turn. Where he was talking about the spiritual and emotional condition of our hearts, if you think about joy, that's kind of about spiritual and emotional condition. He's now going to turn and talk less Godward in some ways and and more, uh, if you will, more practical. So he's got a little bit of a less this and a little bit more this. You can almost see the questions being before verses 4 to 7, how should I be? You should be joyful and thankful and not anxious. And now 8 and 9, what should I do? When we get up from here and walk out of here, then what? Being joyful and thankful, what will I do? And that's what he gives us 8 and 9 for. He's going to talk about things that we should do in the life of the mind and in the life with the hands. So he's going to say something essentially about pondering and practicing with two commands, one in verse 8 and one in verse 9. Life of the mind and the life of action. That's what we're going to be looking at today. Let me summarize it all with with this main point. Let me put it all in a sentence. We're going to look at this morning. We are called to ponder his goodness, practice his ways, and so enjoy his presence. Called to ponder his goodness, practice his ways, and so enjoy his presence. That's what we're going to look at this morning, verses 8 and 9. Let me read them. It's from Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Word of the Lord in Philippians 4. So I'm going to make three observations. The last one, quite brief, to kind of tie it all together. First one, though, in verse 8, we are to set our minds on all that is good. We're to set our minds on all that is good. Verse 8 begins with a finally, kind of how he began chapter 3, saying, now here's the, the rest of the things that are on my mind, and here at the end, finally he's come to the end. What follows, what we'll look at next week, is really kind of a long thank you comment. The rest of the book. This is sort of his concluding exhortation. Last thing on his mind here is what we do when we walk out of here, how we practice what, what's in our minds, what's on our hands. Finally, Got to say something about the, the head and the hands. You're going to get up and leave here, and here's what you should do. Set your mind on what is good. The command is actually at the very end of the verse. If you're reading through, it comes at the very end. Here's what you think about. These things. Ponder them. Mentally evaluate. Give consideration to. Thoughtfully give attention and focus to. What's, what's to be up here? But carefully, we shouldn't think about, I've used the word ponder, I've used the word think, but we shouldn't think of it as like a puzzle to be solved. There's nothing to be contemplated only. This isn't supposed to be only up here, though I'm going to be talking about the life of the mind. I'm going to use that phrase probably a few times. And we're clearly instructed to think, to consider, to ponder. We shouldn't Please don't think of this as only I sit in a chair and only work up here. And therefore, I've obeyed verse 8. It's the mind that starts it all, but everything that comes out of the mind is is going to be in some way expressed. The life of the mind, it must come out. Just think about whatever is honorable, well, you're probably going to honor that then in some way or another. Whatever is praiseworthy, you're probably going to praise it in some way or another. It's going to come out. So we are talking about thinking, pondering, contemplating, but not only in some sort of detached, puzzle-solving, riddle-exploring way. 
He's talking about developing a mental lens through which you look at life. A mental rule book by which you evaluate, judge. We are always, always, we walk through life always evaluating, t- taking things in, evaluating them, making a decision about them, coming down with a conclusion. You are thinking all the time, even when you don't think you're thinking. That's what he's talking about. Worldview forming. Values congealing. Perspectives adopting. You're riding in a car, on a long road trip, you're flipping through a magazine, you're listening to the radio, pondering and thinking. You think you're just, you might even use the phrase, I'm just doing something mindless, but, but it isn't mindless. You're not just killing time to get to Grandma's house. You are developing a perspective. Every ad that you see and every story that you read and every song lyric that comes over the, the radio and the people that you're texting to and the, the tweet you read, it's all coming in and for, you are thinking, even if you are intentionally trying to avoid thinking. which is great. Sometimes, I, I'm going into this a little bit here, because I, I sometimes think that we try to divide ourselves. You're a thinker, I'm not. Well, if what you mean is this person's kind of an intellectual, egghead sort of person, okay, that's fair, but, but we're all thinkers. And what Paul's grabbing hold of here is this reality and telling us, think about these things. I know you're thinking. You always are. Think about these things. He's directing the life of our minds. Okay? Towards what? Well, he says it all there throughout all this verse. Whatever is, repeated over and over again, another way to put it would be, all that is, all that is true, not what is false and deceptive, all that is honorable, that which should be honored, whatever is just or right, as in righteous, whatever is pure, all that is holy and chaste and innocent, all that is lovely, lovable, You might translate that word. Delightful, beautiful, acceptable. Whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, not just in the sense of something that's performed very well, but something that is is wholesome and good and right, exemplary, ethically excellent. Anything that is high and noble and worthy of praise. That's what he lists out there. I'm trying to capture all that by just using the word good. Maybe with a capital G. Good. Set your minds on all that is good. Lift up and exalt all that is good. Which in Paul's mind, in Paul's Philippians influenced to live is Christ, to die is gain mind, in Paul's Knowing Christ is of surpassing worth mind. Guess. What do you think? Comes to Paul's mind, is on Paul's mind as he writes down, whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is right, righteous, whatever is lovely, whatever is excellent, whatever is worthy of praise. What comes to his mind? It's hard to imagine Paul not thinking of the one whom God has highly exalted as the Lord and caused every knee to bow down to. Set your minds on. Fill your minds with. Think about. Ponder that which is good. Jesus. 
worthy of all praise, worthy of all adoration, worthy of all commendation, of surpassing worth and infinitely beautiful, just and holy, the One who is true. Fill your minds with Him. He is our hope and our love and our satisfaction and our joy. And may God's Spirit move on you such that when you rise up and walk out of here, what fills your mind, the lens through which you look at the world, what builds in and upon which you build is Christ. Christ first and Christ last. Good. And from that, may what fills your mind, may what you set your mind on, may the thing that you think about be everything that flows from him. Remember that we talked about the gospel and this great big web? You can say it the gospel very simply, or it is a massive web. So Christ, or a massive web of everything that is true about him, may that dominate your mind, and not that which in the world is evil and troubling and fearful and questionable. We have a great tendency, unfortunately, as Christian people, to know Christ and to walk out and put into our minds a... In my mind, it works best with a video cassette because it's so tangible. But if you need an MP3 file or whatever, to click on and hit play, 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 play again and again and again and again, something that is troubling or destructive or tempting or inviting, do not imagine sin. Do not set your mind on that which is fear-inducing. Believe Christ. Set your mind on Christ. May that which is good, Him, control you up here. Set your mind on things that are above in the wording of Colossians 3, where Christ is, who is your life, and who is coming from there to get you. Ultimately, supremely, this is to be our focus. And I want to press that as I have week after week, as this book does week after week. You can't read Philippians and not think that. I want to press that. Ultimately and supremely, this must be our focus. However, Maybe I should say, perhaps, though, we should say, not ultimately and supremely, Christ is to be our focus, but perhaps we should say, initially and foundationally. Those are still important words, but they kind of put it differently. Christ the good is to be our focus. Perhaps I might put it as, is to be the foundation of the life of our redeemed minds. The, the starting place, the, the initiation point in our thinking, because while we must start there, we can't stop there. Never mind that we live in the world and we've got a hundred things that are going to demand us to think about them. The man that we think about them. Never mind that reality. The passage itself reveals to us that Paul means more than, not less than. You can't read Philippians and think he means less than what I was just saying. But the passage itself reveals to us he means more than what I was just saying. I'll show it to you by, by saying like this. I'll, I'll say the sentence. A Christian should be trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. And, and some of you say, okay, those, those sound like okay Bible words. And some of you say, wait a minute. It's been a little while, but that sounds a lot like the Boy Scout law. Any Boy Scouts? You recognize that? Because it is. You can connect those words I just spewed up. You can connect those to Bible concepts. Trustworthy. Is that, can you find that Bible? Sure. Loyal, of course. Helpful, sure, yeah. But I used words there from somewhere else, and I strung them together in a line that makes you think, that's the Boy Scout law. 
If you're the original audience and you receive this from Paul, and you just read Philippians, you cannot but think what I was just talking about. Christ is the good, especially as you work through those first four words there. You come upon true, pure, just, which is the root word for the word justification. Huge Pauline word. You can't but think. That's Paul's vocabulary. That's the Bible. And then you come to the next two words, you think, Paul doesn't use those words. They don't actually appear anywhere else in the New Testament. Lovely. Translated lovable. Where, where do you, can you ever remember Paul saying lovable? Never does. Only here. Those two words are very unique. And then you might think, <laughs> but you know who does use them? All of the other ethical and moral teachers in our society. And come to think of it, they use the first four words too. That sounds like something I've heard before. Not the Boy Scout law, but it's tacked on that guy's stand over there, and it's part of this guy's teaching, and I read it in that guy's book. Paul just picked up words from the culture and plunked them in here. Think about these things. And then he said, all that is. Whatever is true. Work it through there. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, everything that is just, not just the justice of the cross, everything that is just, and whatever is pure, chaste, whatever is lovable, beautiful, whatever's commendable. Now, just to be clear, if there's any excellence, if there's anything actually worthy of praise, I'm not talking about the stuff that is praised. I mean whatever is worthy of being, being praised. I am still a Christian. I did just write Philippians. He begins foundationally with Christ and then says, whatever is, think about those things. This is not in any way independent of minds set on Christ first and foremost. He starts there. But he is meaning very deliberately to expand us beyond there. Not, again, another qualifier, not in the sense of sometimes I want you to have your mind set on Christ and on the gospel and on the things above. And sometimes... Forget that and think about the stuff of the world. No. Not like this. Like this. Not like this. Like this. Foundationally and initially. I want you to think of Christ sometimes explicitly and overtly, and I want you to think of Christ sometimes implicitly and indirectly, but, but shot through everything. Because in this sin-cursed fallen world, there is no good apart from the grace of God that commonly gives it. But there is good. Think about those things. All of those things. And so in our minds, and then as our minds flow out into action, what we find here is Paul, not even just endorsing, but commanding. That we honor veterans and admire good cooking and enjoy basketball and listen to Fellini and read Jane Austen and study economics. And on and on and on that we think about those things, that we honor those things, that we support those things. I have a friend, not a Christian, but he's a businessman, he's an entrepreneur, and he's good at it. I had a conversation with him one time where he said, this, he's got a bunch of businesses always going at one time, and they are kind of congealed into one kind of entity. He says, you know, I don't even take a salary from this thing, but I employ like 14 people and I'm, and I'm imagining if we could grow in this way, and his, his explanation, and, and do this and develop this, I can see where we might become a X million dollar business 
And as I've worked it out, that would employ 100 people. And can you imagine how cool it would be to give 100 families a job? That just gets me up in the morning. Non-Christian. I shouldn't think about that. I shouldn't commend that. I shouldn't honor that, should I? Because that's not Christianity. No, 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 no. Whatever is good and whatever is honorable and whatever is pure, say, awesome. That's a great idea. And to think about it and to commend it and to support it and to cooperate with it. There's so much in this world that we are to set our minds on because it is good, and then out from it, of course, flows action, sometimes just words, sometimes actually in engaging in endeavor. But it starts in the mind as we ponder and have our values developed and support and agree with. This is really big. But why? Why would Paul command that? Because of the last phrase, at least in part because of the last phrase, anything worthy of praise. Praise, initially first, foundationally, praise to God. Because where did it come from? All things are from Him, through Him, and to Him. Praise to God. Praise that he'd miss and we'd miss if we withdrew and avoided and shunned all this. Excellence, experienced, marvelous things seen and thought about should and God means for them to turn our minds back to the one who in common grace gave it and made it. You listen to a non-Christian musician perform a non-Christian song who invented music and gave the skill and stirred your heart with it? Praise the Lord. Praise to God as we engage with it and, and contemplate it and realize the wonder of it. And then praise to the people who actually do it as we honor, my friend, the businessman who's concerned to provide jobs for others. And this is so important because this stuff, this good that's out there, it so often is our point of connection with the world. A point of con con connection that also, I'll come to this in a second, is a point of contention, but it's a point of connection. There's much good there, though, as we connect with people and engage with them in, in various realms of, of life, as we read and play and study and think and listen and engage with the world where they live, not with our heads stuck in the sand just pretending that the only thing that matters is heaven. No. We're Christians in life. In this guy's life. We thank Him and honor Him and work with and partner with Him. And in so doing, we build bridges and we love and we encourage and we work together even while also, this is the, this is the problem, isn't it? Even while also we separate from and stand off apart from and say no to. Because it is always like that, isn't it? All that is good and in, in the world, what is good and what isn't is, is constantly intermingled, isn't it? It's so you engage with somebody who wants to provide a bunch of jobs and, and perhaps also subtly in there is so that he can be known as a job provider and a great altruistic guy. And the pride perhaps begins to show. And I can't commend that. I've got to be careful how I compliment him so that I don't feed it, right? Of course. We are connected to people and, and contentious at the same time, commending, contemplating, thinking about the good 
discerning and accepting and rejecting as needed. It is very hard. And sometimes, unfortunately, I think perhaps more commonly these days, unfortunately, in the face of this that is very hard, it seems like the common Christian stance is to withdraw. To leave them over there and we will be isolated over here. Or we perhaps, another variation of that is that we lean on the contention and lean on the condemning and avoid the affirming and the connecting. We can't. We can't. For the praise of God and for connection with the world, let alone for our own enjoyment of what is good. It is very hard, especially when you realize how subtle it is. It involves thinking very carefully about the ideas that lie behind the expressions. It's very hard to reject materialism while shopping for a computer. But you got to shop for a computer or a house or a car, and you got to reject materialism, and you got to commend the one who made it while rejecting if, if and how much ever desire for wealth and fame there was in it. It's, it is very difficult, and it can be frightening because when we start to think about this, those of us who are parents realize, if I were to actually buy that, and I'm going to send my kid out there, and I'm going to say, what I want to say is, be safe and avoid the world. But what I have to say, what you're saying is, discern the world and whatever is good, set your mind on it. Oh boy. Because I know there are going to be a lot of people suggesting things that are good. And I'm saying to a young person, discern. That's tricky. I'm going to send somebody off to a college campus where they're going to see posted on every kiosk and on every website and on every bulletin board in the dining hall, this thing that's wonderful and that thing that's great and this is what you should be involved in. And most of it is dangerous. But whatever, all that is true, all that is honorable, all that is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. We are to set our minds on all that is good. I love this. Because, and don't anybody clip this and post it somewhere, I love the world. I wrote off a list of things, Jane Austen and Fellini and basketball, blah, 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 blah. Stuff I love and I'm thankful for. And I praise God that he included in here and gave gifts to and, and brought to light and, and exposed me to. I praise God for that. And I'm thankful for others who, who have propagated those things. And I, I love it. It is wonderful. It is delightful. I love, I love listening to it. I can depress this a little bit. So another illustration. Anybody know uh, Kenny Chesney, an old song, There Goes My Life? Here's how tricky this is. He's, a, he's a, a country singer. This is an old song. But first verse is about a young man, sexual immorality, child out of wedlock, who says, there goes my life, up in smoke. Do we want to commend sexual immorality? Do we want to celebrate it in a song? No. Keep listening. Middle verse he reflects on in the song how that mistake he made 
now covers up the refrigerator. And as the little girl bounces up the stairs to bed, he says, there goes my life. Last verse, she packs up his car with Abercrombie clothes, 16 pairs of shoes, and his American Express, and as she takes off, so beautifully written. Something we should commend, the skill. She drives away, and the lyric says, he cried. Careful pause. He cried, there goes my life. We should commend that. And we should set our minds on that when we're tempted to think of our own kids as burdens, which every parent is at some time or other. Mistake, trouble, my life gone up in smoke with perspective is my life. And if we respond to that, no, that's not life. Paul said Christ is life. We're fools. Of course Christ is life. It's not either or, it's Christ in that. Praise the Lord for that and for what that's about. The right perspective on children. And then, I don't know this for a fact, but I can easily imagine that the very next song on the very same album is about getting drunk at a bar and hooking up with a woman. From beginning to end, garbage. I don't know that for a fact, but it's not hard to imagine, is it? So should I celebrate him? Yeah, no. Yeah, no, of course. It's all intermingled. Even within songs, even within lyrics, within any given movie, it is all. But I love the fact that God commands us in, in, a, in a way, brings everything, takes all captive in the world and submits it to Christ for me and then tells me to do the same with a discerning mind. Amen. What a good God. We are to set our minds on all that is good. And the second observation then, which I need to move on here. Um, but I, I'm comfortable spending a lot of time on the first point. I think that's a big one for us. Second one, though, we are to live like we have been taught. Verse 9, we are to live like we have been taught. Very similar in structure to the first, first verse. Stacks up a bunch of things here. He said, think about, now here's what you do. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, do that. So obviously the focus here is on how Christians live, you know, what we actually with our hands do. So the first one was kind of where our minds are formed, and then we're flowing into what we do. And he's alluding to two broad ways here. Probably the first two words are meant to trigger in us the idea of the Scriptures. What Christians are taught and what we receive. And the second two remind us of what he's talked about several times, a modeled life, what we've heard and seen in him. So, him and, as he mentioned in chapter 3, other role models that were modeling what Paul was like. So you receive it in the Scriptures, and you receive it as you are around Paul and Paul's companions and other people. You see it modeled. The assumption in the verse is that the life that a mature Christian, the gospel-worthy life, has been communicated. That's the assumption. The command, then, is do it. Practice these things. Which is good and fine Christian teaching. He's talking to Christians. He's not, he's not explaining to somebody about how to become a Christian. He's talking to people who already are Christians, so we don't need to worry about he's creating some sort of you get saved by doing the right things. No, you're saved by faith alone, the grace of God alone. Now as a Christian, what do you do? This, do it. And we also need to worry about how sometimes we'll think about, well, what is he just told us to like trust in our own strength and our own power? No, he was just talking about where our minds go and what our minds are set on. So again, this is another model of 
What's going on here first? What happens here second? Our, our lives are changed as our minds are renewed. So we see the very same order here. So this is nothing wrong. Not, not about how to get saved by works, not about how to live by human effort. But it is clearly a call to do. Which is sometimes something we need to hear. It, it can be a call that blows away what can be a fuzzy, hazy, lazy passivity that constricts the heart of what should be a vigorous belief, a confident, joyful embracing of truth that then comes out in a vigorous, confident, joyful living of a life that lines up with that truth. Sometimes we, we think of the, the Christian faith as, as only an idea that I embrace and then I, I live separately from that. And, and what we should be thinking at this moment is along the lines of James, no, if it's up here in the head, if it's believed, it must come out in, in doing. Faith is expressed, do this. We live by faith. So the Christian life is we are to live by faith. We are to live actually bringing out into existence a life based on belief that all that he has taught us is true. Everything that he has said about God and who God is, is who God is. Everything that he has said about what God is for us, is what God is for us. Everything that he has shown us, everything that he has told us God will be for us, is what God will be for us. We actually believe that. And then we bring into existence what he's written, which is life modeled. A profound holding to Christ and a proclaiming of the message of Christ, even if it means prison. is a, a working out of our salvation with fear and trembling. An actual working out of, I care about you more than I care about me. I will consider your needs above my own and live so as to meet them and live with you in a way that does you good, that loves you. I will actually, verse 2, Chapter 2, verse 14, I will do all things without grumbling or questioning here in the midst of this crooked world. I will work on towards heaven. I will rejoice always. Again, I will rejoice. Give thanks. Do not be anxious. Treat others with a gracious demeanor. Bring all your requests before God. We should be fine hearing a call to actually do that. He wasn't kidding. He commanded it all through the letter, has modeled it with his life, has sent to the church other men who will model it with their lives. And so at the end, he says to us, Christian, practice these things. Do them. So it's worth asking yourself, do I do them? Now, I tried to real quick run through the biggies. Did any of them go, hmm, in your mind as I read it? Maybe, maybe God puts his finger on something, or perhaps now you need to run through it again for a second time and think, is that me? We, with minds set on what is good, Filled with the Spirit, believing 
This God is the God that is, and this God is for you. Believing. You can say to yourself, no, when you want to grumble. And you can repent of it and resolve to fight against it. Now, we are fallen. We, and we are, we are not without sin natures yet. So we will fail. Then we get back up and again say, no, grumbling is, is not befitting of one who has so much to rejoice over. So much to be thankful over. God, would you fill my mind with that in repenting and praying? God, would you fill my mind with all that I have to be thankful for? Oh, forgive me and wash me. And then I will get up and those situations in which I know I'm tempted to grumble, I will be particularly alert, fighting. If I fail again, I will repent and pray for God to grow me again. I will fight that because I know I am to be one who does not grumble or complain in, every, in any situation, but instead shines like a light amidst this crooked and wicked generation as Paul taught me, as I received and heard and saw him be rejoicing in prison, singing when beaten. Practice these things. Maybe God would speak to you about something that should be in your life but isn't. Or it is in your life and shouldn't be. We live like this as we've been taught by faith. We do this in the belief that God is who He says He is, is for you what He said He is for you, and will be with you as He says He will be with you all along the way as you run towards heaven. Which takes me to the final point which I'll be brief. Thirdly, expect God to abide with us. Expect God to abide with us. Last phrase of verse 9, and the God of peace will be with you. And the, the parallel nature of the two commandments shows us that this is, this is the, the summary statement for both of them, not just for the second one. So you think these thoughts... You do these things, and the God of peace will abide with you. He will dwell with you. He will walk with you, which is a wonderful promise and a subtle correction. The correction part is, what are we all looking for in life? The life of chapter 4 here, the life of rejoicing and thankful, the peace of God guarding us. He just got done talking about that in verse 7, and he comes back to it again in verse 9 to, to reiterate, to clarify. We're all looking for this life, a life of, of, of rest, of peace. I mentioned that the Hebrew word shalom, which is bigger than just peace, but that's the good life that we all want. And the subtle correction is we're all chasing it. And, and at the heart of every temptation and every invitation to walk down this path or that path is the promise that at the other end of that is the life of peace, is the shalom. And he says, actually, the life of peace is with the God of peace. Think this, do this, and the God of peace will be with you. Think this, and do this, he's over there. He won't be. You're chasing it on the wrong path. Think this and do this, and know the God of peace abiding with you. That's the subtle correction, but do you hear the promise in that? He will be with us. Which is awesome which is awesome there is no sweeter place to exist with minds cast on what is good fighting the battle in the mind to set our minds on and fill our minds with and, and build our mental lives on what is good 
with hands and lips taking up the life of, the, of obedience of faith. Confusing and troubling and complicated as all that is. We fight to think God's thoughts after him and walk in God's ways. And he says he will be there, the God of peace to us. You can be sure that if you set yourself to mentally pursuing what is good, what is worthy of praise, there will be contention. And you can be sure that if you try to walk out the Christian life in this world, there will be trouble. And you can take heart because the God of peace will be there with you. Let me pray as we move towards communion. Lord, will you show yourself strong and sweet, precious God of peace to us? Will you show us, you yourself, as that? Will you encourage us with it, maybe correct us with it if need be? Will you remind us that as we walk through troubles, you will never leave us nor forsake us? Will you give us discerning minds that are set on, that are founded on Christ and have, have our definitions set by who He is and, and what He views as good? Give us discerning minds then that see Your good in the world, rejoice in it and praise You and, and enjoy it to Your honor. Give us discipline and courage to obey and faith to believe that when we obey, we will not be left. We will not, we will not lose. That we'll be more than conquerors with you. So work in your people now, Lord, and as we move towards communion and take in our hands these elements that remind us of, of why all this is true, because you have won us as a people to yourself. Take these elements in hand, Lord. Would you speak to your people and encourage and correct and lift up whatever is needed to meet us now. Continue to meet with us, I pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.